Hello everyone, my name is Jen Torres and I am a God, and so are you. Like many of you, I was raised to believe that if I just prayed hard enough, God would save me. As it turns out, that was actually true. I saved me. At the age of 15, I became pregnant with a beautiful baby girl who dropped in just in time to save my miserable life. This was my first awakening. This podcast is about all of the words and listening to those words to begin to envision what is possible. Because sometimes, as individuals, we feel we need to know everything, have it all together and be everything all of the time. But that's why we live in a world filled with other people. Each person holds a piece of the puzzle. It's about being open to new information, new ideas, and new perspectives. We're going to talk about all of the topics surrounding what it takes for you to step into your God Goddess. Journey with me as we uncover all things living self-actualized and in your inherent divine God state. This podcast is about doing whatever it takes to develop and nourish the God in you. You, 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 you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the She's a God podcast. Today is going to be amazing because I have on my sister and my friend, Shahirazad Maslin of Anahata Holistic Healing. Shahira is a holistic health and integrative life coach. She is located in Beverly Hills, California, and she has consulted literally hundreds of clients across the globe in holistic healing and life coaching. What's so amazing about her is that if you check her out online at I am Shahirazad, you will see a beautiful divine feminine woman out here doing her thing, but there's so much more to her than meets the eye. She has a long history that comes from being an Iranian refugee and a child of war. And we dive deep into this in this interview. And we even talk about the current revolution currently taking place in Iran with Masa Amini, who this name has become a symbol of rising, a rising women's movement in Iran. Women are literally burning their headscarves in the streets. And I'm seeing these flag motif consisting of hair. They're literally cutting off their hair and creating these flags with them. So we journey with her through this past revolution 43 years ago to this current revolution currently taking place in Iran and everything that's gone down between then and now and her journey to what she does today. So here we go with the interview with Shahirzad Maslin. Welcome to the show, Shahira Maslin, to the She's a God podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy and honored to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited because so Shahira and I met, oh my God, was that like a year ago? Exactly a year ago. Just like a little bit over a year ago, just a couple of weeks. <laughs> this is our reunion. It is our reunion. Yeah. So we met like about a year ago, almost to date, which is so strange. I didn't even realize that in Greece on a retreat and Shahira is just love. She's just love. And honestly, like you were just so kind to me. And at the time I was really going through like a dark night and like, I really didn't know how to be where I was. And I just remember like, you were just so sweet. And, you know, at the time I didn't really like, people probably think I'm like some crazy, like angry ass bitch, but like I, but she here was just like beaming like all of the time and she would always be like saying sweet things to me and so like I I just 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 how I remember you I'm like she that's so sweet well I I saw you as a fierce goddess angel so that that was my vision of you oh thank you thank you yeah so I all I know is that Shahira, she's just this powerful, beautiful woman that I wanted to bring on into the space so you guys could like get to know her and what it is that she does with her healing. And the first thing really when I was talking with her about coming onto the podcast was just this unveiling really of her story and her journey and so much of what she's sort of done and gone through in her life to get to where she is today. And the first thing that sort of came to mind for me was like, wow, there's so much more more to this woman than meets the eye because when you see you especially on your Instagram or like any of that there's this beautiful goddess that's like flowing and that is her real energy 
energy in real life just letting you guys know it's just real deal and also there's this other thing happening like this whole other journey that I just didn't even know about and so if you would tell us just a little bit about yourself where are you from and like how you sort of began absolutely It'd be my joy I guess I would say that first and foremost I'm a medicine woman I'm a transformational coach yoga meditation teacher energy healer breathwork healer and sound healer beyond all that I am woman <laughs> I am really deeply connected to my roots from being an Iranian refugee that has had the freedom and the privilege of coming here to America and start my life anew at a very young age and it's so interesting because you and I when we first spoke about coming on and I shared with you a little bit of my story this was right before you know everything happened in Iran and you're like I want to know that story so we'll get to that but <laughs> but you know that was definitely part of what created I guess uh, the person that I am today was my journey um, through um, a revolution but I would say that beyond all of that, I've always had a really deep spirituality that has been woven within me even as a child. And I um, I don't get to talk about that very often because it was really given to me by my grandmother, who was a devout religious woman, part of a saint lineage. And so she had a deep uh, prayer practice that she would do multiple times a day. And I was super close to her and I lived with her for some years and she taught me a lot about spirituality in the context of devotional service to God and prayer. So that was, I would say, my first opening and in teachings into spirituality. And even though with her, it had a lot more of a religious context, I still felt the deep connection to spirit through the practice of just imitating, imitating my grandmother, you know, as she bowed down and back up to the sky and I could just feel the reverence and I could feel the joy and the love and, and just this, you know, devotion, deep, deep devotion. And it really inspired me. And, you know, I always graced with the knowledge that there's something greater than just us and instilled a lot of hope and faith in me. So no matter how hard times were, no matter how hard life became, I always knew that there was higher energy and a higher source that was protecting me, that was going to be with me, that no matter what life dealt me, that I was going to be okay. And my father was also extremely devout person, though not religiously at all, completely the opposite of my grandmother, which was his mother. But he had this unwavering faith and optimism that was just so magnetic. And I loved that about him so much. And, and I'm definitely my father's daughter in so many respects, because I took on his blind optimism about everything. <laughs> and so, you know, my motto is nothing in life is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. <laughs> and I really get that from him. You know, you know, he went through a lot of hardships in his life, especially with the revolution. And he never gave up and he had just this immense um, hope and faith in God. And but, you know, spirituality wasn't what was encouraged in my household growing up for me to obviously my parents were a little bit more modern. You know, my grandmother was really religious, but my parents were not. And so what was really um, encouraged and, and the Persian culture specifically was that you, you needed you needed to go to college first and foremost and preferably go to you know higher degrees and get your doctorate and your and so on and become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or some sort of important schooling <laughs> and so that was really really important for us culturally and but even as a really young adult I knew that I wanted to do something that made an impact and help people so um, I would say my second motto was that if I could just help one person in this lifetime and change the their life that I would have done my due diligence and I could die happy. At the time, there was no healers, right? There was no such thing as a healer. And when I was you know, trying to find my way and searching to choose a profession. I really searched my heart and I landed on just, you know, um, being in the helping field by being a psychologist because I was always really interested in what people thought, what made people um, behave the way that they did. And, and more than anything, I also wanted to understand myself. I chose a little bit easier route than doctor and I went on to become a psychologist and I um, pretty much all but just a 
dissertation, so it means I went through my PhD program, all but dissertation that I had left, I dropped out of my program, my doctoral program, because the kind of more theoretical approach to psychology, which was being taught in my school, to kind of have my clients dependent on me and really didn't empower my clients to become their own healers. And um, I was writing my dissertation on the mind's ability to be able to heal the body through yoga visualization and meditation. And my dissertation, 25 pages in, my dissertation chair was like, you know what, there isn't a lot of research or breath around this. So I would prefer that you pick something that was a little bit more meaty. So this is 25 years ago. And I hadn't done any of these things, Jen. Like I hadn't actually practiced yoga or meditation or visualization. I was just reading about them and thinking, wow, this is magic. If we could do this, this is incredible. And I was so, I was so inspired. And so when I just, you know, heard that, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, as they said, you know, I went on to pursue my other passion, which was fashion. I always say that, you know, I came to Los Angeles from Seattle area, actually the Bay Area um, at that time, um, and um, landed a job in fashion really quickly, assistant designer, then worked myself up into, you know, higher positions in sales, went on to, after many years, become VP of sales of very, you know, well-known denim company. I was making a really great living being like a fashion executive in essence, but my job was really stressful. I was really unhappy and I was sick. I was literally going to the hospital every other week thinking that I was having a heart attack because I didn't know how to deal with the pressures of my job. So I, after many times of hearing in the hospitals that I was just experiencing stress and that I needed to, you know, kind of connect to more mindful uh, techniques of, you know, yoga and meditation and visualization. I was like, wait, this is what I used to write about. <laughs> Maybe I should actually try this. And so, of course, you know, um, your destiny always finds you. And so in healing myself, I had to go through that. And in healing myself, I um, became a firm and staunch advocate of these healing modalities of being able to regain your health, being able to regain your vitality, your center and get off, you know, um, anxiety medication and get off uh, the cycle of fear and stress and anxiety and have more balance in my life. And earlier you and I were talking about, you know, staying in the divine feminine while still doing everything that we need to in order to be entrepreneurs and create and all the things. But but yeah, that's just basically uh, having a spiritual practice that helps you stay in that feminine aspect, creating that balance. Maybe even it is with just a breath work technique that you have that creates balance in the feminine and the masculine sides of you and brings you back to center. Yeah, that was really my journey of healing myself that brought me to the, sp the healing space. And I decided that, you know, wanted to do this full time. This was the calling that I missed. This was the calling that I never really had a chance to learn. This was what I intuitively knew at a very young age that was a possibility but I didn't have the resources or the means to actually pursue them. There was nothing around me. Nobody was doing yoga. Nobody was doing meditation. I didn't see it as an avenue of being able to succeed, you know, create a life for myself in it. But of course, you know, times have now changed and so many people are understanding the importance of these healing modalities and so many people are receiving so many benefits from it. So, um, you know, full circle, uh, I decided uh, that I was going to go back to school uh, while being in the fashion industry and working a very demanding job and learn everything that I could possibly. And, and I say learn, but it's really a remembrance, right? Because, you know, we've done this. We've done this many lifetimes. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I think at a young age, I knew. I knew this is what I had to do. But it wasn't that I had a knowing. It was I had a remembrance within me that this is what I did this is how I healed this is you know this is how you heal the masses so you know I went on to for many years studying many different healing modalities and um, everything that I could and went on to become a yoga teacher a meditation teacher breathwork teacher all the things in order to learn first and foremost for myself and then be able to share these gifts with others knowing that this is this was the path that I was meant to be on that somehow I had missed it was not available to me at a younger age. 
So, and that led to, yeah, just opening up the doors for me to have the courage to also step away from my um, very lucrative fashion job that I had and to start doing that part-time as consulting and then eventually just completely let it go, fully focus on my offerings and my business and my brand. Wow. And then thus was born Anahata Healing, Holistic Healing, right? <laughs> well, Anahata Holistic Healing was born many years ago. It, w- it was born while I was going, while I was still in the fashion world. I was part-time. I had made myself become part-time uh, consultant. And yeah, and so as a result, I was able to create it uh, while I was working part-time. And But I was giving most of my attention to these companies that I was consulting for because I was building up their brands making them millions and I had very little time and energy to put into my own container there was another kind of point that came in in my consulting career even where I felt like I my energy was better served if I were to just take a chance and really work as hard as I did for all these other companies for myself and create my own brand not created but just really devote my time and my effort to building my own platform and service and have faith, have faith that what I have to offer is something that is needed, especially right now, and um, that I can make a living doing it. And so now I am so grateful that it is it is what it is. And I have, you know, um, been able to create an incredible business as a result and doing far better than I ever did in the fashion industry. So for anyone looking to make the transition, know that if your heart's in the right place and you have the intention of helping others, the universe just conspires to help you. Mm, There's that internal optimism that's like from your father just lingering on And it's so true, though. It's so true, though. I 100% back everything you just said, like, wow. And when you were talking about your journey, you know, from just going through that process of sort of that hustle, like in the United States, that tends to happen, and sort of your career in fashion, did you in that process as an Iranian woman, did you face any sort of struggles just out of curiosity in the United States sort of stepping into this? Yeah, well, I came here when I was 11. And it was during the revolution. It was at the height of the Iranian revolution. Iranians were deemed terrorists. And so you may be too young to remember this, Jen, but I'm a little bit older than you. But yeah, I came here during the height of a lot of animosity towards Iranians. You know, there was Iranian hostages that were still in Iran. There was so much, you know, friction and tension between the two countries. And while I was really happy and fortunate to be here, I had a lot of shame around being Iranian. Um, and it was it was not my fault. You know, it was I was just a child and it was just a product of a revolution that had happened that, you know, had affected so many millions of people. And, um, you know, while, again, I was so grateful to be here, there was this feeling of being foreigner, an unwanted foreigner. And, you know, there was a lot of animosity towards us. And so I hid the fact that I was Iranian for so long, you know, so ashamed of being Iranian. So, you know, just think about what that does to a psyche of an 11 year old and, um, you know, what that does to your identity. And at, at, an, at a time where you're really, really having to, you know, shape your identity. Thankfully, you know, I was I was always surrounded by incredible people. I was always surrounded by really beautiful friends that loved me for who I was. But there was an overall sense of like having to hide who I was. And so my journey began like that. And it took some time to really be able to heal those wounds. And it and you know, we live in a world where things are news for <laughs> X amount of time and then people forget. And there's so many heart-centered people on this planet. You know, I was able to really work through some of those traumas of first moving here and being called names and all the things that you go through potentially as a as an adolescent but it was just added fact of having come here from a country that was not a preferable (laughs) country at the time so yeah hiding who I was hiding my name hiding I changed my name to Sherry I hated 
hated my name because it was it made me different. It made me um, it made me stand out. And it wasn't until much much later, many many years later, I remember I started working at this kind of like mom and mom and pop uh, like restaurant as a cocktail server. And you know I I filled out my application and he hired me pretty much on the spot and went to the floor and he came to introduce me to everybody and and I said hi my name is Sherry and he stopped me right there and he's like I'm sorry no your name is Scheherazade it is the most beautiful name I have ever heard and he went on to tell the story of Scheherazade and who she is and what she did and all the things and and so I he's like your name in this place is always going to be Scheherazade not Sherry and so I was I was petrified but I started saying my name as Scheherazade for the first time in this bar (laughs) and I had you know so many people that were like night after night after night like wow your name is Scheherazade that is the most beautiful name tell me the story and and then I it started to finally resonate with me that oh okay I can be myself I can I can own my name it's so interesting because just the other day I changed my Instagram handle to I am Scheherazade so it's interesting that this is coming up for me again to really speak about it and I did it mostly because I am getting married soon and my last name is going to be changing and and so many things and I was like okay this feels really confusing but what I really am I am Scheherazade I am so happy that you said that because I didn't even know that I Shahara that's what I thought I didn't know Shahara Zad which what just really briefly now I'm curious what is is there a story behind that name well, it has really nothing to do with the Iranian culture per se. It's um, the story of a princess, uh, an Arabian princess, basically volunteered herself to end the killing of, well, actually, it's very appropriate, uh, the king next door to Scheherazade's country. She was also a princess on her own right, was um, betrayed by his wife. She cheated on him, and so he decided to kill her, and then went on to take a virgin every single night and kill her before morning. And so Scheherazade was in the neighboring country, and she uh, decided that she was going to put a stop to his killings. You know, much to the dismay of her father, she volunteered herself as his next, you know, um, that next concubine or, or wife for the night. And when she met him, she brought her little sister with her. And he asked what, you know, why did you bring her? And he said, she said, this is my last night with her. And I just would love to be able to spend my last night with my sister, if that's okay with you. And I just want to tell her a story before she falls asleep. And then I'm all yours. And he said, no problem. And so she began to tell and weave this beautiful story and went on and on and on you know up until dawn telling the story and right before dawn she just left the story with a little cliffhanger and kissed her sister on the forehead and said that this is my goodbye to you and so the king because he was so inspired by her story and wanted to hear the end of it asked asked her to go on and tell the story the following night so this went on for a thousand and one nights where she would leave it with a cliffhanger every single night and you know and he allowed her to live obviously that he up falling in love with her and stopped the killing and had many children with her and that was the story of Scheherazade so the you know the 40 thieves Aladdin all of the stories that you now know are actually Scheherazade stories um so they've they've like made these really beautiful like gold-bound books of all of her stories and um there's a Rimsky-Korsakoff rendition of Scheherazade it's an orchestra of her it's really really beautiful as well my parents were really inspired by that name mm, I'm so happy I asked because now I'm like mind blown by the entire story. I'm totally Googling it after this. Um, But I do feel like that's a great bridge into like everything that's happening right now in Iran with the whole movement happening right now for Masha Amani and everything that's happening with, if you guys haven't heard about this story, it really is just sad. I don't know, Shahir, if you could talk more about it because I feel like... Absolutely, yeah. I can I can give a little context to it. You know, for those people that do not know Iran and its revolution, it happened about 40 years ago where these kind of um, fundamentalist Islamic uh, mullahs um, 
came over and brainwashed the masses into thinking that the Shah of Iran, which was the king of Iran, was um, not giving them a fair deal and that they would have a much better life if they were to kind of adopt the principles of the you know fundamentalist religious of Islam. It wasn't presented in a fundamentalist way, though it absolutely is, but it was basically in Iran at the time there was a, a division of classes, but the Shah was really working to create more balance and was modernizing the country. Um, and trying to educate a lot of Iranians that were maybe living in the suburbs and the villages. And, and it just, there wasn't enough time in, in time for them to be able to stop this exodus that happened in the end with the Shah's exile, uh, removing him from power and these Muslim Islamic mullahs coming into power. And what they did is they basically, um, it was a complete revocation of all of women's rights in all ways, um, including having to wear a hijab over your face and completely covering yourself full body in lest you entice men. So women, they, they couldn't get the same education. They couldn't get the same. They don't, they don't have the same rights. They don't have a lot of the same things that obviously us as Westerner, Westerners have the rights to. And so this has been going on for over 40 years. There was a laxity that happened over maybe the last 10 years or so where they didn't have to wear the hijab so tight. They could maybe show a little bit of hair. But recently, maybe about sometime in, in early September, a new person kind of came into power and made it a little bit more forceful to kind of go back to the old ways. And Masa Amini was caught kind of in the in the crossfires of this transition happening and was, you know, pulled aside by the morality police because she didn't have her hijab on correctly. She was showing too much hair, whatever it was. And she was taken into custody and she was beaten and went into a coma and unfortunately passed. And she now has become the catalyst and the biggest women's right, you know, movement in the world um, that we're witnessing right now. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing is that, yeah, Masa Amini's name is being known and is great. And I'm so happy that, you know, people are recognizing that and, and saying her name. And, you know, it's become a movement because of her, but hundreds, not thousands of women are being killed and tortured right now and have been for many, many years. And, um, and right now they're taking to the streets and they are, uh, you know, incredibly brave and, uh, you know, setting fires to their hijabs and said, you know, asking for freedom and asking to be heard and asking to be seen. And, and so it's, it's a really, uh, interesting time right now. The government has now shut down all the internet. So the footage of what's actually happening really cannot be seen un until unless someone is like kind of putting it out there right in, the, in, in the slide. The reports that are coming out is seeing people are being taken to prisons and killed in the streets left and right. So they really need our voices to amplify what is happening. And this is this is one of those movements where posting on Instagram is actually really helpful because, you know, a lot of times it's not, you know, you think just, you're just posting something and, oh, you're, you're, you're helping a movement. But in this instance, you actually really are because their voices cannot be heard and all that they're asking, you know, um, I have friends who have family still there and all that they're asking is for us to amplify their voices. And, you know, the, even mainstream media is not really touching on this much and they're asleep on the job as always. And, um, or maybe there's a political reason as to why they're not really amplifying it. But, you know, we, the people, we women specifically have to be the voice of these women in Iran who are just so bravely and courageously taking to the streets and, you know, they say the revolution will not be televised. This is what they mean, <laughs> but it's happening. Yeah, so interesting that you say that because I was I was actually watching the the Gay and Tucker interview from yesterday, and um, I noticed like I was trans like scrolling, and I try to stay away from the news really, but like I was scrolling and I saw footage and like an article and a video on everything that was going on over there and 
because I knew about the story, but I knew we were going to be talking today. I wanted to know more. So I hit the video and I started watching it and I had such a strong sacral response. Like I sent you an email, like I literally had this fire like in my stomach. And the thing that I will never forget is that picture of the, it's like, um, like a flagpole, but it's like, instead of a flag, it's hair. Like if you guys have not seen this, like it will give you chills all over. Like it's, looks just like a flag um, on a pole, but instead of a flag, it's the hair of the women who are cutting off their hair and standing up for this insane, horrible stuff that's going on over there that I, I don't even have words for. Like, Shahara, thank you so much for putting that together so beautifully. Because and, and what I'd like to also point out is that you we actually don't understand the brevity of the women in Iran taking the streets. It's not like here where we are allowed under our constitutional rights to march peacefully for the things that we believe in. Well, as long as it does, it coincides with the narrative that they want to push, that is. But, you know, no, no, needless to say, we have, you know, we have rights and we can go to the streets and, and protest things that we don't agree with. But in Iran, you do not have the right to think for yourself to question the authority of a government. It's like medieval times where the law of the land is set. And if you question it, you're actually beheaded. It sounds like Game of Thrones, but that's the truth of living in Iran right now. And it has been for decades. And that's what, what most people don't understand. So the fact that they have abandoned all fears of being killed and persecuted for something greater than themselves, they are really the true warriors and heroes. And I bow so deeply to them for their courage. And they are doing what I couldn't do as a young child. You know, they are in essence liberating me, millions of others that really suffered so deeply under this regime. Whether, you know, they lost their homes, their assets, whether they were beaten, whether they were sexually assaulted, raped, molested, so many other things that this corrupt regime has subjugated women to for the past four decades. These women are liberating all of us. So it's huge. I could feel it in the energy of the video. Like I literally could feel it throughout my entire body. Like I was like, the energy was just so strong and it was so powerful. And it truly was that like, Kali energy like this like just this screaming like this girl like literally cutting off her ponytail like and just the energy in the environment was just this fire and that's why I said it literally felt like a fire in my belly so I have to ask like in light of everything that is happening there do you think that there will be change well I I mean I I really hope so um I can't see the future but this is this is, like you said, the biggest fire that has been ignited. Um, Masa was the catalyst, and she kind of like lit the match uh, of the tinderbox. And so it's like it's taking its its shape and form. And um, I don't feel like they're going to let up. I do feel because they have literally been like birds in a cage, and worse, they have had a sheet over them, and so they couldn't thrive and they can shine their full light. Couldn't have the opportunity to wear, you know, what they wanted to. They had to hide under hijabs. They had to hide their unique features, and so they had to hide their goddesshood, their charm, their beauty, their juiciness, the very essence of femininity, right? They they had hidden that for the last God knows how long, you know, and this new, you know, generation of women that are taking the streets are young. They're in their 20s and their 30s. So they were not there in the initial part of the revolution, but they are um, liberating their moms, their grandmas, and they are fierce um, goddesses. And I, and same as you, I was, as I was tuning into them, I was really feeling feeling this uh, kind of like uh, dark goddess energy come through, which is so, it's so needed, right? Like embracing the the light and, and the dark of ourselves is so important in all aspects of life and understanding that the dark goddess, there's a time and space for it. And the time is now and really being able to claim their femininity once again. And that sometimes comes through uh, being, being able to um, tap into those dark hidden spots and really shine light on them. Uh, And what they're chanting in the streets right now, these women, is women, life, freedom, right? 
So they want to feel like a woman once again. They want to have the same life and freedom that you and I get to enjoy. And so this, I feel, is really the goddess rising. Perhaps a little bit more dark goddess energy <laughs> is needed. And so we come from, us Iranian women, we come from a really long history of warrior women. You know, Artemisia was a leader of the Persian navy. She was a powerful woman, and she won so many battles. Arda showed Pantea, you know, she was a commander of the Persian army. Apranik, another commander. She was a leader of the female resist resistance. Anahita, um, or Anahata, um, it's actually Anahita. Um, she was a goddess of health, fertility, but also of war. So I really just summon them all along with a little bit of the dark goddess energy of Kalima, Durga, and um, Hapshatsut potentially to just really rise and in the brave hearts of these Iranian women at this time. And I summon more strength, you know, more bravery, more, more courage, more vigilance, and to really help them dismantle this current regime to balance the scales of the feminine masculine and to really take down this oppressive patriarchal autocracy that has had dominion over the mentality and the uh, just the livelihood of women in Iran and to really be able to birth a new era, a new way of life where freedom reigns once again and they can have the same rights as women all over the world. So I pray for that. And to the women of Iran, I just would like to, you know, continuously say this, you know, thank you for fighting this battle for all of us. Um, you know, I see you. I am with you. I am you. Sorry for getting emotional. <laughs> no, don't apologize. It's it's in you. Like it's literally in you. You are the essence. Your bloodline runs through the roots to exactly what we're, we're talking about in Iran. And through that embodiment, through your journey, through spirituality, and through the energy of all of the goddesses that you just named, you are embodying that through what you do today, it, it, which is through the Anahata holistic healing and the work that you do on the planet now. So it's just amazing. And it's beautiful to have your energy on the planet during this time, especially during this time of the revolution that's currently taking place there while you you're here sort of holding that space, holding that space. I appreciate it. Thank you. And it's interesting, you know, it's, um, it's, this trauma that has been stored in my body for decades and it feels like it's being liberated. But, you know, I have always been of the mindset that you can be a victim or you can be a victor. For me, I chose to be a victor in this lifetime and not let my past predicate my future. You know, not everybody can do that, but I, thanks to my father, my father's eternal optimism, optimism and faith and just, you know, what he instilled in me and my deep spirituality and faith that, you know, God had my back, universe had my back. You know, my, my past made me stronger. My past made me more resilient. I am more self-aware. You know, I'm also more aware of humanitarian and social issues around the world as a result of what I have gone through. Equality and scales of balance became really important in my life. So I really teach unity consciousness. So I hold a lot of workshops and retreats around balancing and healing the feminine and the masculine aspects within ourselves so that we can be that mirror back to the world to hopefully tip the scales towards a more egalitarian and equitable global consciousness. So it's become my life's work in a lot of ways. It's really woven, as you said, in what I do and what I teach. And I owe that to my childhood. So no matter how hard it was to go through the revolution, which we didn't even really touch on, you know, I have my own story of, you know, what I went through through as a child in Iran uh, during the height of the revolution. I lived there. My dad was detained. Um, I couldn't leave the country uh, for many years. And I, I was there during a war. And there were bombings all around me on a regular basis. And I thought I was going to die every single night. Um, but I chose not to let that consciousness be a part of my future and hold me back from serving my mission in this lifetime. I chose to use it as strength. I chose to use it as fuel to bring light to, to this world and bring equality and justice to this world in my own way. And so I teach it through unity consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, now I'm every, okay. So many questions during that time when you were a child going through that revolution before you came to the United States, what was that like, first of all, and 
also, how did you, for people who have gone through childhood traumas and, you know, similar sort of experiences, how did you heal from that? What, what was your journey in healing from that? I mean, going back to when the revolution happened, my family was, you know, in the upper echelon of the Iranian class system. My dad was an incredible, um, incredibly successful architect and a land developer. He had built a city in, in Isfahan called Malik Shah, which means Malik City, which was his namesake. And it was it was a resort city, an entertainment city with casinos and, you know, the whole bit. And of course, when um, the revolution happened, uh, anything that had to do with, you know, casinos or drinking or any anything of the sort was um, sacrilege. And so, and my dad was also, you know, really good friends with the Shah's family, specifically the brother. And they thought that he was part of, you know, the, uh, the royal regime or what have you. And my dad was just, you know, a normal person. He just was a successful person, but he was not part of politics. And so he refused to leave the country when the revolution was happening because he said, this is my country. I'm not a political person. This is where I'm working. I'm building things and I don't want to leave. We were, we had, you know, home outside of the country we lived in south of France and um, you know other places but you know my dad's business always kind of took us back and forth between our homes and when the revolution happened he didn't want to leave so he sent us back to France but he he stayed he stayed and um, un- unfortunately as a result of him uh, staying um, they they put a hit out on his head thinking that he was someone that needed to be taken down because he was successful and he had money and he had, you know, these things that he had created that was so anti-Islam. And so my dad's brother was in the police force and he became my dad's bodyguard because he understood that my dad's my dad's life was in danger. And one day as they were walking, my uncle saw uh, this car driving by, by with guns pointing directly at my dad and he jumped in front of it and took the bullet right in the head for my dad and he died instantly and um, obviously it was a one of the biggest tragedies in our family and um, my dad knew instantly that he had to leave the country and in his grief he you know gathered all of his things and his his money and you know all of his assets and as much as he could and put it all in his car and with a trusted driver that had been working for my dad for 20 years attempted to cross the border to Turkey and this driver unfortunately you know uh, told the authorities and the authorities um, basically captured my dad at the border and and took him to prison. And he was in prison on death row five years. Every single day we thought that my dad was going to be hung. And for no other reason than he was successful and that he had money and he was someone um, that, you know, was friends with the royal family. Thank God, you know, his faith kept, kept him alive, his, his devotion to God and spirit and he he was always so optimistic every time that we would see him. But at the time I was in um, Belgium with family and my mom went back to Iran to be with my dad and see him every week in prison. After like a year or so, I was too homesick for my parents. And I was a child. I think I was like five or six at this point. I was like, I need to be with my parents. I don't care. And they really didn't want me to go back to Iran. But I, I decided that I wanted to go back and I wanted to be with my parents. And so maybe I was six, six or seven, actually. And so I decided to go back to Iran during the height of the revolution, during the height of Iran and Iraq war that was happening. You know, we had lost everything. You know, we were like millionaires living in a mansion to having, you know, servants and all the things to having nothing, nothing. I was, we were living in my grandmother's home. My mom was, you know, just so depressed and just, you know, suicidal and all, everything that you can imagine that someone could go through, you know, her husband being on death row, everything taken away from us. And I had to really um, be there for my, for my mom, for myself. And I had to really grow up fast. And, you know, the trauma of being in war, hearing, you know, the, the alarms all the time, the bombs being dropped all around us, not knowing if it was going to hit our house. Um, all of that was really difficult to, to bear, but, you know, none of it was more difficult 
difficult than, you know, my dad being in prison and I loved him so much. I was, I was always a daddy's girl. <laughs> uh, he was, he was my hero. And so what he did after many years of being in prison and, you know, hands had changed and people had changed through the government. He started in prison drawing a blueprint for a better prison system and just to occupy his mind. You know, he was such an intelligent man. You know, he had worked so hard his whole life and, you know, he's, he was a workaholic. So, you know, that's what he was doing in prison. And after many years and them having decimated the country, all the lawyers and all the doctors and all the architects and everyone had fled the country. And so they didn't have anybody to help rebuild the country. So they told my dad that if you help us rebuild the country, we will release you on good behavior and um, you can have your freedom back. And of course, my dad said, no problem. And as soon as he got out, he said, you know, I'd like to go and visit my family abroad. You know, uh, I, I will come back and help. And, you know, he had assets outside of the country. So he decided that he's not going to look back. He left everything and we we didn't look back. And of course, now he has, you know, millions upon millions, if not billions in his name in Iran, which it is what it is. It's, it's, it's under this corrupt regime that we can't, you know, do anything about. But um, he got his life back, thank God. And um, we were able to build a life here in the States. But, you know, while I was in Iran, life was difficult. And, um, you know, I had to wear a hijab. I had to, you know, as a child, as a, just a young girl, like, to think that I would be enticing to these people was just mind boggling. But, you know, they, I, I, it's just so crazy to think that, you know, a six-year-old child would be a threat to these men um, with her hair. And, you know, I was riding the bus um, one time to Isfahan, to, from Tehran to Isfahan, which is like an eight-hour bus ride uh, with my mom to go visit my dad in jail. And um, I remember sleeping, and I was my mom was right next to me, and she was also sleeping because it was these long night drives that we would have to take. And these guards, you know, police guards, part of the regime, were all like on, on the floor, like on the, on the aisle of the bus, always and I woke up to one of them having his hand up my skirt I was you know just frozen I was petrified I was scared I was just you know mortified that something like this was happening to me but I sat there and allowed you know the time to pass and because I knew that if I had said something that it would cause a commotion my mom would get angry they would get in a fight would be thrown in prison and so I just was quiet. I was quiet about the abuse that happened and I didn't say anything. And it was many, many years until I actually, you know, told anyone about it, you know, my immediate family. And this happens all the time to so many women and so, so much worse than what happened to me. I was lucky. I was spared. <laughs> the, and we had guards that would, that would be at our house and that would, you know, attempt to do things and I would run. It's a reality for women in Iran. And it's just so interesting that when you think about what these men are damning women for, they are the actual perpetrators of so much harm because they're so fucking weak. Excuse my French. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it just shows, um, it just shows how, it just shows how weak they truly are as men, that they have to, they have to, they have to tone down women so that they're not um, enticed to take wrong action. So the divine masculine is really lost in that country. It is really my hope to um, really inspire that within the men that are taking the streets right now and fighting for their sisters, their moms, their mo their wives. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's time. It's time for the divine masculine and divine feminine to really rise and for men to really own up to being men, the protectors and not the molesters and not the abusers of women. I truly feel that falling away with this revolution, um, with everything that's happening over there right now with this movement, I feel the energy, I mean, I don't exactly know. It was before my time, the first one that happened like 40 something years ago you were mentioning um but this it just it feels so strong it feels so visceral it feels so like fire 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 is the element that i feel is being activated there right now and so i just am so grateful for you and for 
the energy that you're holding here for them because that is exactly what's happening. It's going to be something that we'll never forget. Like what's happening over there right now and visuals and like everything that we're experiencing online just through even news feeds and articles. You're right. Um, the Instagram, yeah, like you're right. That is important. And so I, you know, you don't think about that sometimes. And so I feel like I will be posting and I hope everyone who listens to this will be encouraged by um, Shahira's story um, and by everything that's happening in Iran right now with this movement. And so if you're listening to this right now, we do encourage you to think about this and to understand it a bit more, just listening to everything that uh, I'm going to start calling Shahrazad said now. Um, and so thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Uh, we, I want to know all happening in the collective. So it's like as we're growing and we're changing and we're putting in the work, so too are our ancestors and the people who walked before us and after us. Uh, so how can people work with you? How can they find you? Um, well, there's many ways to work with me. You can take um, my classes, workshops, uh, sound healings. I do them around the lunar cycles. So new moons, full moons, you usually find me either virtually or somewhere in ceremony in Los Angeles area. I do individual sessions for uh, quantum healing, which includes spiritual transformational coaching, energy healing, which is a combination of angelic, Reiki, pranic healing, and channel techniques that I've developed over the years, along with sound and vibrational healing modalities and aromatherapy, which is really, really powerful altogether. And I also offer individual nutrition coaching, transformational coaching, as well as breath work. Um, but the deepest benefits are obviously derived from my um, three and six month containers uh, with my quantum ascension mentorship program, which is a deep dive as an extended program designed to really support people in a revolutionary life transformation and realization of their full potential. So it's a sacred container that um, helps to unleash the magic within you to manifest abundance in all forms. And it's based on uh, my medicine wheel of transformational coaching. Again, energetic clearings and activations, yoga, meditation, breath work, sound healing, all the things um, along with initiations and specific rites of passage to reorganize the soul grid. So if there are things that you're wanting to clear, traumas, wounds, um, habits, thought forms that are holding you back from achieving your full potential, this is really a beautiful container that we can work through all of those things with my guidance and with my you know, unconditional love, be supported to really home in on your gifts, to find your purpose, to find... Um, Maybe if there's a creative or conscious business that is brewing within you that you'd like to give birth to um, a more aligned mission in this lifetime, or just to build the life of your dreams with ease and grace, I am I am here um, in service and just helping people find and connect to their souls and their hearts and a heart activator in essence. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we are going to link everything below for uh, Shahrazad and all of the ways that you guys can find her and work with her. So thank you so much for coming on today. It was my joy. Thank you so much. It was, it was a beautiful conversation, things that I didn't really think that we'd be talking about, but I'm so happy that we did. And I think people need to hear it to hopefully be inspired and to take action, to help, to be the voice. And um, I, it, was, it was my honor to share. Thank you for listening to the She's a God podcast. Tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I would love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at This Is Jen Torres for all of the latest. And remember, she is a God, and so are you.